prayer. Our great God and Father in heaven, as we enter into your presence once again this evening, we are mindful that you are the great I am, that you are the God of the living and not of the dead. And Lord, as we come before you, we count it a privilege that we can be called your sons because of Jesus Christ, who has adopted us, that we can be called fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. We are awestruck by your grace unto us. Not only did you rescue us from the pits of hell, but you have given us a great inheritance, not only in this world, but in the world that is to come. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, for the good news that has been given to the church to proclaim throughout the ages to the end of the earth. We count it a privilege to be heralds of this gospel, and as we uh, come together this evening, even to your word, we come expectantly, for you alone have the words of eternal life. So as we Come to you, Lord, we ask that you would uh, continue to be with us in this place, that our worship would be pleasing and acceptable before you. And as we gather, we are reminded that we are a needy people, that we are wholly and fully dependent upon you for life and breath and everything else that we take for granted. Our great God, we Come before you with our needs, for you have commanded in your word that we should not be anxious about anything, but in everything we should bring our prayer requests before you. And so we come in this vein this evening, Lord, with our many needs represented here in a congregation. We think of those who are unwell. We pray that you would continue to strengthen them in their bodies We know many continue to struggle with the effects of a fleeting body, the effects of illness and sickness. Lord, we pray that you would touch them, that you would even provide them with momentary relief and rest. We thank you for how you've answered our prayers in the past and for the healing and recovery many have known in this congregation. And as we pray, we are reminded of your faithfulness that you do hear us and you do answer our prayers. Thank you for how you've continued to sustain this church and its ministry and its extension through the various missionaries that are supported by this church. We pray that you would enable the men and women who have gone out to serve your church all over the world to continue faithfully doing the gospel work. We pray that you would keep them from sin and temptation and enable them to be a witness wherever you have placed them. Help them to be salt and light in the midst of a dying world. Our great God and Father in heaven, we bring before you the various activities and events that we are planning together as a church. We think of the upcoming cookout at the Mullins. We thank you for their generosity and their kindness uh, and their willingness to host us as a church. We pray that this would be a blessed time of fellowship and of fun and of getting to know one another deeper. We pray that you would continue to build us up as a body of believers, 
that you would deepen our friendships and concerns for one another, that we would truly show that we are a body of believers, believers who have put their trust in Jesus Christ and who are eager to do good. Lord, we commit each member of this congregation into your hands, asking that you would keep us from sin and temptation and that you would help us to grow in godliness and holiness, help us to walk in accordance with our calling, in accordance with the faith to which we hold. We continue to remember the conflict in the Middle East, and we ask, Lord, that you would bring resolution to this conflict, one that has continued over several decades. And even in this time, we are reminded of our own fallen nature as human beings and the extent of it. We think of those who have lost lives and loved ones. We think of those even that we may know of who have been sent to serve in this war. We pray that you would comfort the families that have been separated uh, as, as men and women have been sent to go and fight in this war. We pray that you would comfort the families and that you would protect the lives of individuals who are engaged in this battle. Lord, now as we turn to your word once again this evening, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears, that we may behold wonderful things from your word. We pray that you would sanctify us by the truth, for your word is the truth. We come before you, Lord, expectant to meet with you in your word. I pray for myself that you would strengthen me, that you would keep me from error, that you would help me to proclaim with boldness and authority that which your word teaches. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, and we'll be considering uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, this evening we are considering the third of the I Am sayings from John's Gospel. This evening I will be focusing on Jesus' statement that I am the door of the sheep, and he identifies himself as the door in these verses, but I will be reading more verses here just for context and also dealing with the broader context of these, uh, these verses. So if you're there, I'll begin reading from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheepfold and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from, <clears throat> but they will free, flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep 
did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Here ends the reading of God's word. I must confess one of the greatest temptations I faced in preparing this sermon and even now is that the next uh, I am saying follows in the next verse, I am the good shepherd. And so I really have to keep myself within the fence um, to make sure I don't jump over into the next verse. Uh, the, the, the imagery is very intertwined, as you, can, as you can see and imagine here. And so, uh, Seth, if you see me veering, just raise your hand and I'll remember uh, where I'm supposed to be at. So we're looking at uh, the statement, I am the door. And uh, we, we will focus on uh, what Jesus is getting at by using this figure of speech, as we find in our verses. But I do want to just take a few moments uh, to jump back and look at uh, a bit of the context in the previous verses. Um, again, the last time uh, I think Dirk was preaching on the previous saying, we went here and so we caught a bit of the sermon on the way. But I was listening to it again yesterday and I said, Dirk has covered some of what I had in my manuscript. So I had to go back and, and change that as well. So it's been, it's been quite the journey, uh, but the Lord is sovereign in all of this. So um, <clears throat> what we see in chapter 9 is the healing of this blind man, uh, and Jesus heals a man who is born blind. Uh, but what follows with, after that is, is quite interesting, where the uh, Pharisees interrogate this man, and, and his parents are called in, and that discourse that we find in chapter 9 is very in- interesting and very telling of the state of the hearts of the Pharisees, and more broadly of, this, of the nation of Israel at this particular point in history. It's, it's very telling where their priorities are, and though they've seen such a miracle, they still deny uh, that Jesus Christ indeed is the promised Messiah. But their hearts have been so hardened and their eyes are so blinded, ironically, that they can't see uh, the great works that Jesus Christ is doing. And so after uh, this man has been cast out, uh, he, has, he has basically schooled the Pharisees, showing them that they do not have faith in what they teach. Um, after doing that, he is cast out. Uh, they eventually tell him, you are born in utter sin, and they cast him out. Uh, end of chapter 9 there, verse 34. But then we see that Jesus comes to this blind man in verse 35, and in this discourse, it's pretty incredible that Jesus very plainly uh, reveals his true identity to this blind man. He, he asks him if he believes in the Son of Man, and then he reveals that he is uh, the Son of Man, the one who healed his eyes. And, and this man falls down and worships. So following that uh, context, we come into chapter 10. <clears throat> and though our English Bibles uh, break up this into a, a different chapter, you'll notice that there is no break. Uh, it actually goes straight from chapter 9, uh, and, and Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you. So he is addressing uh, uh, the situation, uh, the, the Pharisees who have come out and have, have neglected what they have seen. And now Jesus is addressing um, what has just taken place. And so it's with that context that we come to our verses where Jesus is addressing um, false shepherds here in the first few verses. And then he goes on to talk about him being the door. So I want us to see from our verses this evening that there is only one way of salvation. There is only one way of salvation. And I want us to look at the way of salvation. I want us to look at the objects of salvation. And thirdly, we'll focus on the blessings 
of salvation. So firstly, we're going to look at the way of salvation, and, and this is where the bulk of our time will be spent, because uh, primarily this metaphor that Jesus uses of being the door of the sheep uh, addresses this issue of the way of salvation. Before we get into that, I think it will help us a little bit to just understand the context of, of shepherds in the ancient Near Eastern world, and, and particularly what Jesus is describing here. He's, he's talking about a sheepfold, and, and this sheepfold uh, is a larger enclosure within which sheep would have been kept by perhaps different families or, or different groups of people. So within one enclosure, you may have uh, sheep that belong to different families, and um, and they're obviously designated shepherds of each of those groups. And then you have a gatekeeper who, uh, is, who has been hired to let sheep or let the shepherd in and out through the gate. And so that helps us uh, just to picture what Jesus is describing here in terms of the metaphor or the context that he uses to teach a spiritual uh, truth. Uh, we also see that Jesus is speaking metaphorically. Uh, verse 6 tells us that Jesus used a figure of speech uh, with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so he is, uh, to state the obvious, he is speaking in metaphorical language, uh, but he uses that to teach a very important uh, uh, theological truth here. As we, as we search the scriptures, and particularly looking at Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees, with the Jews, uh, we notice that Jesus speaks in parables for a particular reason, uh, if we look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 13 to 14, uh, Jesus gives the reason for why he is speaking in parables, or he continues to do this throughout his ministry. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy spoken of Isaiah has come true. And so we see that Jesus is specifically using metaphorical language, uh, he's using parables to teach um, by way of concealing the truth from those uh, who have been blinded. And we know that the, those who have been blinded is an act of judgment because they have continued to reject uh, the prophets that have come in the past. And uh, when Isaiah speaks, he is sent to go and proclaim this message, and the people will not repent. That is the difficult ministry Isaiah has, to go and preach this gospel, go and preach this news uh, to the people, and yet they will not listen. Their hearts have been hardened. And so in, in the coming of Jesus Christ, that is fulfilled because the, we see the Jews in the majority reject the message that Jesus preaches. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul deals with this uh, even in his letters of how they have rejected uh, the gospel. They have failed to see the Messiah, and they even crucified uh, the Messiah. Uh, even in John chapter 12, verses um, 37 to 40, towards the end of his public ministry, we see this again, how Jesus, uh, he, he speaks about the hardening of the heart of the, the Pharisees and the Jews, and how he no longer continues to do his ministry publicly uh, because judgment has come upon them. So that's helpful for us to see why Jesus is using a metaphorical language here, uh, because he seeks to conceal some of what he has to teach. However, in our verses, he does go on and explain this further in verses 7 through 10. So firstly, if we consider the false teachers that he is addressing, the, these shepherds who have uh, 
taken the positions as leaders over Israel, over the people of God, uh, Jesus addresses them with these first few verses in verse 1 to uh, 6. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And so Jesus is addressing what has been happening, and, and particularly looking at the way the Pharisees have treated uh, this blind man. He shows that these um, leaders of Israel, the Pharisees of the day, the scribes, they have become shepherds over God's people by illegit illegitimate means. Yes, they are descendants. Uh, yes, they have uh, come from uh, Abraham's line, as it were, and yet they do not have faith in God. Their hearts have become hardened and they're actually far from God. Though they are teachers of the law, um, they actually don't understand the true meaning or the significance of what the word of God teaches. And so Jesus uses this language um, to address how they have become false shepherds. Uh, they seek to take care of God's flock and yet they have failed. Uh, before I continue, I did just want to mention that we see here this, this language of the door being used uh, in, in a few verses. In the earlier verses that we are considering in verse 1 and 2, Jesus is addressing more the false teachers, uh, those who are thieves and robbers and come over, uh, not through the gate, but they come in through other ways to, um, to try and steal and, and, and take advantage of the sheep. However, later on when Jesus is addressing uh, he says, I am the door in verse 7 and verse 8. We see a slight shift of the emphasis. And so though the metaphor that is being used, that of a door, uh, is interconnected and yet the emphasis is slightly different. And so that can be confusing as at your first reading uh, because it seems like he's talking about two different things and yet they are interconnected as we will see. They are related and uh, hopefully that will become clearer as we make our way through our passage. So going back to our verse, uh, verse 1, he calls these people thieves and robbers, the ones who come through another means, not through the gate. And, and, and Derek touched on this a little bit when he uh, preached the last sermon, uh, addressing light and darkness. The deeds that are done, or the deeds of darkness are done in secret. They're done in hiding so that the truth cannot be seen. And we, we see a similar concept here that those who are not true shepherds are seeking to enter by other means. They don't come publicly through the means that have been appointed. That is the gate, uh, the, the, the door to the sheep, but rather they come in through other means. And, and because they're trying to be secretive, they're trying to take advantage of the sheep, uh, they do not go through the appointed means. But then Jesus draws a contrast that he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And as we think about the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper opens, uh, as verse 3 says, the gatekeeper opens uh, to, the to the shepherd, and then the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And that takes us into the true shepherd of the, of the, of the sheep. But the false teachers have actually sought to take advantage of the people. And so this is why Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, 
you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. So whereas we can see that the shepherd is concerned for the well-being of the sheep, uh, what the, the thieves and the robbers are seeking to do, in this case, uh, the Pharisees of Israel of the time, are seeking to actually take advantage of the sheep. Uh, we, we see in other, other scriptures how they've uh, actually uh, told the people not to give and not to take care of the elderly, but rather to contribute to the temple. And so they're actually robbing the people uh, of, of even their money, but also in terms of their spiritual well-being. They are not leading them and instructing them the way they ought to because they're concerned about selfish gain. They're concerned about themselves. And this is what a thief and a robber does. He is concerned about himself. And so in this, in this metaphor, we see how Jesus addresses um, the false teachers. And the background we have from the Old Testament is, if we look at Ezekiel chapter 34 or Jeremiah chapter 23, we see how uh, the prophets there, both of these prophets, address how these men who are to be shepherds, uh, even the, prof- the priests of the day, have not taken care of God's people. They themselves have become immoral. They have become sinful, though they are set apart for this true holy calling of building up God's people. So with that background, we again see how um, Jesus is using this language, and it continues through our verses after Jesus expands upon uh, the, the, the fact that he himself is the, 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 the door. Verse 8 says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. And so he addresses those false prophets before his time who came and sought to lead people astray. And so the phenomenon we have even in this day of false teachers and people who are leading individuals astray and, and false churches that have come up is not a new uh, phenomenon that we're dealing with. It's something that has been around uh, for centuries as we see people who have sought to lead people astray. But the comfort we have here is that the sheep know the voice of the true shepherd, and they have not been led astray, even as the thieves and robbers came in to lead them astray. But having looked at it negatively, we notice how Jesus addressed the, the topic negatively in the first case, talking about the thieves and the robbers who come to take advantage of the sheep. He then goes on to expand upon who the the door of the sheep is, and he gives that to us in verse 7. So having addressed how the true shepherds, those who who have been sent by God, the true prophets that have come before him, are to enter in by the door, he now goes on to tell us that the door is Jesus Christ himself. He tells us that I am the door of the sheep in verse 7. And Some of our Bibles may translate verse 7 as, So Jesus again said to them. Uh, But if we were to take it more literally from from the original, uh, we get, Therefore Jesus again said to them. So because they did not understand in verse 6, therefore he goes on and more plainly states to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And so what we have here in verses 7 to 10, we can say, in one sense, is an expansion of what has already preceded. Because in order to be the shepherd of the sheep, you must have faith in Jesus Christ. You cannot be a shepherd of God's sheep if you yourself have not placed your faith 
in Jesus Christ. And so we see that connection, and yet there is a further expansion in these verses when Jesus talks about entering through Jesus Christ by believing in him. He uses that metaphor of coming through the door and the salvation that we received as we enter by him. Uh, we read there in verse 9. And so here entering is synonymous with believing, putting your faith in Jesus Christ. As Acts chapter 16 verses 30 to 31 tell us, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's in response to what should we do to be saved. Uh, the question that is asked there in Acts chapter 16 the apostles respond, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The door that we are to enter through uh, to be in the sheepfold, in God's sheepfold, is by believing in Jesus Christ. And we see that there is only one way. There aren't multiple ways. There aren't multiple doors to go with this same metaphor that Jesus is using here. There aren't multiple means that we can think of getting to God but there is only one way. And John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I don't feel as bad using that one I am statement because that is the next sermon, Lord willing, that I will be preaching. And so what we see here is that Jesus Christ is the only way. And now this goes against many things, and it makes us enemies in a lot of different corners not only from the non-Christian world who consider us uh, to be using hate speech or uh, to, not use, to not be using loving language to say that Jesus Christ is the only way. And that obviously immediately begs the question, so then what about the other religions of the world? What about the thousand, uh, thousands and millions of people who have given themselves to other religions, who literally give their lives for these causes? Uh, we, we obviously face with those questions when you have these terrorist attacks and, and, and Muslims are willing to go and blow themselves up because they believe they have an inheritance, that they will receive a prize because they can, uh, they can be serving a greater cause of spreading Islam and, uh, throughout the world. So there are people all over the world who are committed to different religions and different causes and yet the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the only way to God the Father. There is no other way that has been given to man that they may be saved. But it doesn't only bring us enemies from outside uh, Christianity, from non-believers and from those who follow other religions, but even so-called evangelicals get rubbed the wrong way when we preach uh, when we preach texts such as these and we say that there is only one way to God the Father, there is no other way we are to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. And we, we will face opposition, we will be called uh, fundamentalists and we will be called radical for believing such doctrines. But I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that this comes right from the scriptures. This is not a man-made religion. This is not a man-made doctrine. But this is what Jesus Christ himself, these are his words that he speaks. And this is what the scriptures declare and proclaim. And so if we feel uncomfortable with this doctrine, then we are uncomfortable with God, what God has to teach, what God has to say. And so even this month, as we're thinking about the Reformation, and, and we're going to have celebrations here as the children come and present on different Bible characters and and Reformation characters, we, we know that one of the major cries 
of the Reformation was that salvation is by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way, and it's all to the glory of God alone. And so as we think about what the Reformers did as they opposed Rome and and, and as we look at the text and we study this, the, the, the writings that come out of those ages, we look at the differences being quite subtle. For Rome says salvation is through Christ, but they omit the important alone. It's Christ and, Christ and. But what we see the scriptures teaching is that salvation is through Christ alone. And we've been... Uh, reading about this and studying about this, even from the Sermon on the Mount that we ended a few months ago. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so though the emphasis Jesus is giving in Matthew chapter 7 is different, looking at how those who are perishing, those who follow the way of the world are many, but those who trust in Jesus Christ and follow him as their Lord and Savior are few. Because the way of the world is easy. It's what speaks to the flesh. It's what speaks to our desires of the flesh. And yet those who are being saved are called to go on the narrow way to enter the gate, to enter through the door of the sheep, who is Jesus Christ. But we know that even this faith that we are to place in Jesus Christ, as we are to enter through the door by believing in his finished work on the cross, we know that even the faith that we have been given is a gift from God, as Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 tells us. And as we think about believing in Jesus Christ, we must remember that we are reminded even as Sunday school this morning, Dirk was teaching us that God has chosen us before the foundation of this world. And so even if we're able to respond to the gospel and to come to Jesus Christ, it is because, as he says in John chapter 6, verse, 13, verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. We see that God not only chose us before the foundation of the world, but he is sovereign even in us hearing the gospel and responding to it and being given the faith to respond we know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and a dead person, you've heard this many times, a dead person cannot do anything for themselves. And so for us to be able to respond, we must first be made alive that we may be able to believe in Jesus Christ. We must be given the faith to believe. As we see from the dry bones, the value of dry bones, the breath of life must be breathed into these bones that they may come to life. And that is the work of regeneration, the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. The Baptist Catechism is helpful here in questions 91 and 92. It says, question 91, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace 
whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation, as he has offered as he is offered to us in the gospel. And question 92, what is repentance unto life? Repentance unto life is a saving grace. We must emphasize that it is a saving grace. It's given to us, a gift from God to undeserving sinners. So it's a saving grace whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his sin, turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. It is a mouthful, but it's a comprehensive statement because it helps us to realize that, that regeneration, being made alive, is, is a work of God that he does in us, but it also shows us how we turn away from our sins and we turn to Jesus Christ, desirous of living a life of new obedience. We also see, as Jesus talks about being the door of the sheep, his mediatorial work, how he has paid the price for our sins on the cross. He has died for us on the cross. He was buried and he was raised on the third day and is seated the right hand of the Father. And so what we have in, in the death of Jesus Christ is that he was made sin for us. He who knew no sin was made sin for us and he was crucified on the cross, that we can, can be made right with God the Father. And so as we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we come before the Father justified. We stand before the Father justified because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so when he looks upon us, he does not see our sins, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We see how even at the death of Jesus Christ, the curtain is torn into two. No longer is there a divide. We are brought into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. We enter through Jesus Christ by believing in his finished work on the cross. And there we are right before the presence of God because of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. He brings us into the presence of a holy God, And so when we think about putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we are thinking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. When you talk about believing in him, we see here in verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be saved. The promise that Jesus Christ gives us of those who believe in Jesus Christ will be saved. So as we think this evening about what that means for us, thinking upon this promise that Jesus Christ gives us, that we are to enter through the door of the sheep. There is only one way of salvation. We may be tempted as we, as we share the gospel with other people in many times and many situations to tone it down a little bit because what the Bible has to say is too radical or it's too offensive but may this remind us that these are the words of Jesus Christ himself and that this is the loving thing to share with someone. If they are on the wrong road, if they have entered through the wrong gate, it is the loving thing for you to show them that they are headed on a path of destruction. 
They are not headed on the way of life. But they are headed down a path that leads to eternal death. So having considered the way of salvation, let us then turn and look at the objects of salvation, the object, objects of salvation. And this in, this in this passage is the sheep, those who enter by the gate and are saved, as we have just briefly considered. And we'll go back to that in verse 9. I am the door. If anyone, and we see that universal offer, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And it's such a beautiful picture that is painted there of those who enter through faith in Jesus Christ, enter into the kingdom of God where there is eternal life and there's abundance. So who then are the objects of salvation? It is the sheep, those who have been called as we have already seen, those who have been predestined, who have been chosen before the foundation of the world. It is they who come through the gate and they are saved. And if we turn to Psalm 118, we see the language that, that is being used here appearing there in Psalm 118 verses 19 and 20. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I might that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. Let's just think about that. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. And as we've been even considering under our previous point, we can be called righteous as we enter through this gate, through Jesus Christ, because his righteousness has been imputed to us, has been placed upon us, though we are sinners, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can enter by the gates, counted righteous because of his righteousness alone. There's nothing that we bring to the cross. There's nothing that we contribute to our salvation. But we are counted righteous because of Christ's work on the cross. And so if we go back to verse 9 here in John chapter 10, we read that whoever enters by the gate will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And so we, we have to ask this question, which many of us already know and have thought about, but what it is that we are saved from. We are saved from the wrath of God that is being poured out against all mankind, against the sins of this world. We are, poured, we are saved from the eternal judgment and condemnation that those who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ will receive and that, 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 that we deserve. We have been saved. We have been saved from slavery to sin and the devil. We are no longer slaves to sin but we are now slaves of Jesus Christ. No longer do we have to live in this world as slaves to sin. So I ask you this evening, Christian, are you still living as if you're enslaved to sin? We have been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet, 
It is so easy for us to fall back into the old ways. We do need to be on the attack. We do need to be on the combat against sin in our lives. And we need to be wise about that. We need to be fleeing from temptation. And as we considered in our previous point, this fleeing, we're fleeing from our sins, but we, we run to Jesus Christ because he is our great high priest. He is one who can relate with us because he has been tempted in every way and yet he did not sin. We can, claim to, we can cling to his righteousness. But by, that by no means cause us to live a loose and licentious life as we know. We are called to a godly life. We are called to a life of holiness. A life of growing in godliness. So we have been saved. We have been rescued from the power of sin in our lives. May we hold fast to that gift we have in Jesus Christ that has been purchased for us. But we are not only saved from those things, but we are saved for something. And, and, and Pastor Thomas already touched on this this morning. There are good works that are set out for us to do that were chosen for us even, again, before the foundation of the world. And so we are not saved just to sit around and um, as perhaps the monks might think that their, their job is just to sit all day and meditate and, and chant and, and be involved in aestheticism, but rather we are called to engage in good works. So we are saved from the judgment and anger of God. We are saved from slavery to sin, but we are saved for the good works. We are, we are, we are saved to do these works that, that demonstrate the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. And we read here, that, what are these the objects of salvation, what are they like? Well, we, we are told here, they know the voice of the shepherd. And this is repeated in our verses. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And again, going back into the imagery of, of, of shepherds uh, back in history in the ancient Near East, we, we think about how we had a group of sheep and they weren't tagged or labeled in such a way that uh, the shepherd would say, that, that, that is mine. Uh, but he was able to use special calls and sometimes even name the sheep. And as he would make that specific call, the sheep that belonged to that shepherd would come out. And so we see that here with the shepherd, that the shepherd, as he, uh, as he uses those particular calls, the sheep, they know the shepherd's voice and they come out because they know the voice of the shepherd. And again, in verse 8, we see that the, 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 she, the sheep are able to discern the voice of the thieves and robbers. They will not go out when the thieves and robbers call out, but they will listen to the voice of the shepherd. Is that the intimate relationship you have with your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you familiar with his word to the point that when you hear false doctrines and heresies being proclaimed, you can immediately discern from from the truth? Are you able to discern error from the truth because you know the shepherd's voice? And we are told that in the last days, there are many who will come and say, I am the Savior, I am the Messiah, I have returned. 
And those times will be terrible times because it will be so difficult to discern. And we are living in the last days. We do not know when the Lord will return. So we must pray that we may be preserved till the end. So if we are to have this intimate relationship, then we ought to be feeding on God's word daily. We ought to be spending time in prayer. We ought to be giving ourselves to the means of grace if we are to have this close relationship with our shepherd, Jesus Christ. We must not neglect meeting with him if we are to know his voice. For it is only when you spend time with the Lord that you will know his voice. On a lighter note, this evening I drove to, to church just with Ayan and I, and um, he had a lot to say this evening. He talked all the way, but he forgot his interpreters back home. And so Anushka and Dumi went there, and so half of the journey was me saying, say that again? Huh? What did you say? And it just made me think, like, do I not spend enough time with Ayan? You know, they know when... when Ayan will mumble something and Anushka will say it in plain language. You know, this is what he's saying. He wants water. He wants that. And it, uh, you know, it just made me think, does it mean that I need to be spending more time that I can actually make sense of what he's saying? And he says it with a lot of gusto. He knows what he wants. Uh, but it just makes me think that spending time with a person, the more time you spend with someone, you're able to understand them better. And so too it is with the word of God. If we are in the word if we are giving ourselves to the means of grace, we will know the shepherd's voice. He will not be a stranger to us. But having considered the way of salvation and the objects of salvation, in the third place, let's look at the blessings of salvation. And there are many that are, that are given to us in our verses here. We, we notice how uh, we read in our verses that those I am the door in verse 9. That if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And the language we have here comes from Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 6. And it's speaking of the blessings promised to those who, who will keep the commandments of Yahweh. Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 6. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And as we read those verses, we see the blessings that are promised to God's people as they walk in obedience. If they follow God's voice, verse 1 of 20, uh, chapter 28, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today. So we see that as they walk according to God's word, there, there's blessings promised to them. And this imagery given uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 6, the similar language that we find back here in John chapter 10, the blessings that are promised, the freedom with which the sheep are going out and coming back in. There is great freedom in the Lord. Not so with the sheep, uh, with, the, with the robbers and the thieves who come in to take advantage. Can you imagine being a sheep and, and constantly being attacked by these robbers? You would be living in fear. You don't know where the next attack is coming from. But when you have a shepherd who cares for you, whose voice you have learned, when you hear his voice, you are glad to go out and be fed in the green pastures and to return back. This is the provision that is promised to the sheep. 
And so too with us, we have the promised Holy Spirit who we have been blessed with as we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who teaches us the Word, even as we read, who convicts us of sin, who helps us to grow in Christ's likeness. We have not been left to our own devices, but we have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us, who helps us even as we read His Word, helps us make sense of His Word. And so we are to, we are to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives. We are not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but we are to be attentive to His voice. If you feel the Lord speaking to you, if you feel the Lord convicting you of a particular sin in your life or a particular portion of Scripture, you ought to heed that Scripture. You ought to, ought to be killing self and living for Christ. And that might not always be in the realm of sin, but it may be in in a particular realm that he is seeking to grow you in your faith, in, in your obedience to his word. So not only do we see the provision, but we also see how God protects his sheep, see how he takes care of them, how he leads them in and out. And even when they're in the, sh in the sheep pen, he is there to take care of them. We have the protection, we have provision that is provided for us, but we also see the great freedom with which the sheep are able to go in and come out. There is great freedom in the Lord that we have, and the people who do not know Jesus Christ are living in bondage to sin. They are living in bondage to so many different things because they have made other things their gods that should not be made their gods. And many of you interact with non-Christians on a daily basis. You interact with family members whose lives are captivated with fear and uncertainty and doubt because they do not have the solid rock upon whom they can stand and have confidence. But you have the good news that you can share with them. You can pray for them that they would respond to the good news as you preach it, as you share it with them. We sometimes forget when we don't interact with the world and people in the world how much we are blessed to be believers. But the more we think upon that, we, we ought to be moved to go in and bring others into the sheepfold. We ought to go out and, and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. This good news that has transformed your life can transform theirs too. But Jesus also talks about in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We see the blessing that is promised is an abundant life, a life of fruitfulness, and not just in this world, but more importantly, in the world to come. Those who place their faith in Jesus Christ have eternal life, a life of living in the presence of God and worshiping Him forever a life of enjoying him forever and being free from pain and suffering and sorrow and sadness and sin and disease and all the things that plague us in this world. This is the life that is promised. And so even as we, as we go through this world and we, we agonize over the effects of the fall, we see the death of loved ones, we see sickness, we see corruption, 
we are grieved by these things, we ought to remember that there is an eternal destiny to which we are headed. If we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, even as John chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us that those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ have everlasting and eternal life. And so while the thieves and robbers have come to take advantage of the sheep, to take even the little that they have, the good shepherd has come, has come to bless. Jesus Christ has come to bless those who have put their faith in him, both in this world and in the world to come. And the scriptures are full talking about the spiritual blessings that are ours. Can you imagine that we are called sons of God, that we are adopted into his family? That in itself should just blow our minds. We sinners, we who shook our fists at God, not only had our sins forgiven, but we are brought into relationship with God the Father, that we can cry out to him, Abba, Father. What a privilege. What a joy. This is our Savior. This is our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we have been called to love and serve and obey. And so as we close here, we, we've seen how Jesus has revealed himself further in the context of the healing of this blind man and, and the response from the Pharisees. He has said, I am the door. He has shown what the life of faith in Jesus Christ looks like. Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Have you tasted of this life eternal that is given to us freely? But if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, look with me again and notice that the sheep enter and go in and out of the sheepfold. They do not just go through the gate and never return again. So if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ savingly, you ought to continue placing your faith in him daily. We are a people of faith. We ought to live not on bread alone, but on the word of God. We are to live by faith in Jesus Christ and daily return to the fount of living water to have our fountain Refilled. Let us pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we have in your word that we can reflect upon and be strengthened by, be convicted of. We thank you for this great salvation that was purchased for us with the very blood of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would so fill us with a desire to see the lost saved, that we may go out into the world this week and share the good news with a dying world. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.